Well, today we welcome in the new year, 2023. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is going to be 11 years before the next time a new year opens with Sunday being the first day. That won't happen until 2034. And as I learned that interesting fact, I wanted to share that with you all today and, and just uh, get you thinking a little bit about the future. I mean, 11 years from now, where will we be? What will we be doing? And I start, begin, I start to think just about this year. My first thought is, is will the 49ers win the Super Bowl this year? That's one of those occupying thoughts I have right now. Um, I start thinking about, you know, this year, what is it going to look like? What are some of the events that are going to happen in my life? And of course, we all probably, to some degree, start mapping out our days, our weeks, our months, planning the next vacations, the next weekend getaways, all that fun stuff. And so we're excited about a new year. One of the focuses that we need to have in the new year is our spiritual walk. And I don't know for you, for me, I always look back over the year and kind of just examine my walk and where I started and where I ended up in 2022. Jonathan Edwards is a man that many of you would be familiar with, one of the uh, great spiritual giants in our Christian history. He was a pastor, he was a theologian, and many thought him to be the greatest uh, theological mind that America has ever produced. He was the one that his preaching really started the first great awakening. Uh, he preached that message, that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And during that message, it was reported that many people were just overcome with conviction. And members of that congregation were shrieking, groaning, and trembling with holy fear. And those of you that might be familiar a little bit with his style of preaching, Jonathan Edwards was not a dynamic speaker. Matter of fact, he would probably be one that would put many of us to sleep today because we're not accustomed to just a reading, a monotone level and that was Jonathan Edwards. That was his preaching style. But clearly God used that message and God brought him to that point of being able to uh, bring conviction upon people. Early in his preparation, Jonathan Edwards was studying. He was preparing for ministry. Uh, he was basically what we would refer to as a college student. That was the time of his life. He was a college student. During those years, he began to think very much about his life, think very much about his walk, and was determined that with whatever time that God gave to him, he was going to make the most of it. Now, you all understand, I mean, we can spend money, but we can always make money back. We can always get some money back. Um, you can uh, lose your health to some degree, and often you can recover it. We can get sick, and we can recover we can lose relationships and later restore relationships. But when it comes to losing time, you don't regain lost time. We look back over 2022, and I'm sure every one of us would attest to the fact that we have wasted some time. We've spent too much time involved in activities that really don't matter in the whole big picture. 
And so for Jonathan Edwards, he began to write down some resolutions. And I actually have a copy. This isn't a copy from him, but this is just a copy of those resolutions. And it's called Jonathan Edwards' Resolutions. And he wrote down 70 resolutions while he was a college student. 70 resolutions that he wanted to um, follow throughout the course of his life. And he wrote them over a period of about a year or so. And he had many of these were really, really good. And I would highly recommend that you would uh, pick this up and read it, look at it, peruse through it. I'll give you a, a couple of them just for you to understand. He would always start it off with the word resolved. And we sung about that in our first hymn, I Am Resolved. Well, he was resolved. Here's one. I found this one kind of interesting because uh, this is something that today for us, uh, you know, we just don't do, but it's very thoughtful of him. He said, resolved. This is number 38. Never to speak anything that is sportive or a matter of laughter on the Lord's day. Now, I understand he had a Puritan background. So some of these things, he took the worshiping of the Lord on the Lord's Day very seriously, and he was resolved not to speak anything that's sportive or a matter of laughter. So very serious, sober-minded gentleman. He made this in uh, 43. He said, resolved, never henceforward till I die to act as if I were any way my own, but to act entirely and altogether as God's agreeable to what is to be found in Saturday, January 12th. And then he would refer back to some of his other resolutions. But there was one that he wrote early on and one that really stood out to me. It was number five in his list of 70. And it says this, resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I don't know what this year has for you. I don't know what this year has for me. But I do share the sentiment of Jonathan Edwards that with whatever time that God gives me with my life, be it another hour, be it 10 days, 100 days, 10 years, whatever the case may be, that I would make it the most profitable for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in this new year. And Jonathan Edwards, he had that unwavering resolve to live that way. He wanted his walk with the Lord to be as vibrant and glorifying to God as it could possibly be. And I dare say that for many of us here today, we share that same desire, that our walk with the Lord in this new year boy, it would be vibrant, that we would have a, a great and close walk with Jesus. And so the title of my message is this, a new year, walk wisely. A new year, walk wisely. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Ephesians. And you can make your way there to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, the book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul, 
And in this book, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's connecting theology with practice. Matter of fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians is really focused on what God has done for us and who we are in Jesus Christ. So he goes through uh, all of that through those first three chapters and he connects it later to the Christian's daily walk. Who I am in Christ, we're going to see this in the first three chapters and then it's going to direct how we live for Christ. I think if we give focus just on the how I live, the how to, honestly, I think we make our faith kind of dry. I think we make it this routine matter. And yet a walk with God is nothing routine. There is something deep and rich when we are walking closely with our God. In Luke chapter 24, the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, two of them, and as they were there, Jesus came along and started walking with them. When Jesus had revealed himself to these two disciples and had disappeared, those two disciples began to turn and look at each other and they said that their hearts burned within them. Boy, they had such a yearning to hear more. And this is what happens when you and I are walking close with the Savior. So look with me here, Ephesians chapter 1, and what we're going to do is I'm just going to highlight some verses uh, through the first three chapters, and then a little bit later in the book, we're going to dig down and focus in for our study this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, and we will begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a verse I want us to key in on first, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There are so many blessings that you and I have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Boy, when we go through difficult days this past year and we look at it, we see that God's grace helped us through it. There was weekends that I, I had so much going on in my life that I would sit there and I'd think to myself, Lord, how am I going to survive these next few days? And yet over and over and over again, the Lord would show me how. He gave me the grace. He gave me the strength. He protected me. This is the blessings that we have, and there are far more than just that. The Apostle Paul begins this letter to this church, and he says, don't forget about all these blessings that you have because you are in Christ. We'll fast forward a little bit, go to Ephesians chapter 2. He says here, and you hath he quickened. The word quickened has the idea of made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Here's what we were in the past. Verse 2 kind of gives us this past. This is what we were. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedient, uh, disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by the nature the children of wrath, even 
as others. You know, I look at that and that's what I was. I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior when I was a seven-year-old boy. That's what I was. I was one that was living according to the flesh. I understand I was seven. I wasn't involved in a lot of great sin at that time. But I was still separated from God. And I had to make that choice. What I would do with Jesus Christ. And so we find here that the Apostle Paul is reminding them, this is who you were. And I wrote here, I said, let us be careful not to think more of ourselves than we ought. Christ did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. I was dead in trespasses and sins. But when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I became alive. I'm living alive now, today. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. And then I stopped to think, and I'm thinking, well, why would he do that? Why would he come after me? What was I to him when I was just a seven-year-old boy? What were we at all? I mean, we were his enemies. We were dead. No life. But look at verse 4. It gives us that reason. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You may be thinking right now that there is nobody in this world that loves you. But I want you to know there is a God who loves you. And he loves you so very much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the love of God for you, for me. This is his great love and rich in mercy. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then the ages to come. Okay, we're looking towards eternity here. In the ages to come. Look what he'll do. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Boy, we live in a broken world. There, there is people right now that uh, are struggling in sin. There are people right now that are struggling with health. There are people right now that are going through problems. And here what we discover is that while we live in this broken world and we have to deal with all these challenges that come with living in a broken world, there is coming an age, there is coming a time when you and I, all of this will be wiped away. And God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And what will he do with that new age and those ages to come? He's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Folks, this is going to be an amazing, exciting time. Heaven is something for you and I to look forward to. Not something to dread, but something to get excited about. Something for us to be able to look and think and imagine what God is going to do for us all during those ages to come. He continues on in verse number 8 and gets to three crucial verses that we use often in uh, presenting the gospel to somebody, sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift 
of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Then he goes into verse 10, which I think is essential for us to remember. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Each of us, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, receive that gift of God. Each of us that has received that. We are God's masterpiece. That's what that word there, workmanship, has uh, conveys is the idea of a masterpiece, a work of art. God is still working on me. God is still working on you. Making us, conforming us into the image of his son. There's a great work that's been going on. Now we find here at the end of And again, we're going to fast forward a little bit, otherwise we'll be spending a lot of our time here in these early chapters. Let's go ahead and look then at the end of chapter 3. End of chapter 3 of Ephesians, and look at verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. How many times has God worked in your life in such a way that you would say amen to this verse, that God had worked in such a way that was exceedingly above all that you could ask or think. I stand you, uh, before you here today and um, honestly, I, I don't think I ever would have thought I would be the care pastor here at Campus Church. Nowhere in my mind's eye years ago would I ever think, yes, in 2023, that first Sunday, I'll be standing behind this pulpit. No, I I thought I would probably be anywhere else but here. But God did a work. God did a work above anything that I could have ever asked or thought. And orchestrated my coming back here. And God has done the same for you through your life. And we ought to be willing to testify and and get excited about those things. He says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And here it is. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, even 2023, world without end. Amen. Now at that point right there, you get this sense, this like closure, like the Apostle Paul. I mean, as the people were hearing this letter read and they heard, amen. You know, they're thinking, okay, time to go. Or maybe they had a fellowship afterwards and everybody's getting excited. And then whoever was reading said, but wait, there's more. And there's a whole another three chapters here. More chapters, but this becomes the practical living section of Ephesians. Look at the verse 1 of chapter 4. Look with me there. And it keys you in on our our, our key word, if you will. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This here begins the Apostle Paul's 
application of how theology works with the practical living, with the daily walk of our life. I therefore, hey, taking all that we've talked about, all that God has done for you, all that you are in Christ, now let's begin to apply that to our walk, that we might walk worthy. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 again to mention that idea of walk. Look with me there, Ephesians 5 and verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then he goes on in verse number 8 to say, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We've already seen him three times now talk about our walk. Here he admonishes to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He admonishes us to walk in love, to walk in light. And chapter 5 is really dealing a lot with our walk with God, because we're going to look a little bit more at that idea of walk. Look with me at verse 14. And I think this is the challenge for us today. Verse 14 of chapter 5 say, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. So if there's anyone out there right now, just awake right now, because people are going to be looking at you otherwise, all right? So awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. If there's any dead out there, oh my, I'm in trouble, okay. And Christ shall give thee light. Oh folks, think with me for just a moment. Within the realm of Christianity, and let's just, again, we're narrowing this down to not the broad name of Christianity, but into the true believers, true followers of Christ. How many are asleep? How many are spiritually asleep? How many of us here would look back over 2022 and acknowledge there were some times I was spiritually sleeping. The Apostle Paul is addressing real people with real problems. He gets to verse 14, chapter 5, and he says, Hey, awake thou that sleepest. You that are spiritually sleeping, awake. It's time to wake up. You have a walk. Walk worthy of your vocation. Walk in love. Walk in the light. You have a walk. You're missing all these blessings that God has for you. You're missing all that you are in Christ, that you're his masterpiece, that he is going and creating you to be something that is going to resemble his son. All of this, all of this is encompassed in this book that the Apostle Paul is trying to get this group of people to see. It was an urgent message. And there's a question that we need to ask. Are we walking wisely for the Lord? Are we walking wisely for the Lord? A.W. Tozer said this, that complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. 
Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. You see, this is why Jonathan Edwards was so resolved. This is why he wrote those 70 resolutions, because he wanted an active, vibrant walk. He wanted to do everything he could, take advantage of every time he had. In his book, Religious Affections, he writes this, true religion in great part consists in holy affections. He would later ask, who, would, who will deny that true religion consists in a great measure in vigorous and lively actings of the inclination and will of the soul or the fervent exercises of the heart? Those exercises of the heart. This morning, I am going to submit to you four spiritual exercises that if we're going to walk wisely we must practice these four spiritual exercises so let's begin in verse 15 and let's see our first spiritual exercise Ephesians 5 verse 15 says see then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise our first one is to awake and see. Awake and see. This is our spiritual exercise. Awake and see. The Apostle Paul has addressed the awake part. We're looking here in verse 15 at the sea. You know, this past week I had my annual visit with uh, my eye doctor. I wear contacts. Um, I'm so thankful for contacts because I just loathe glasses. Um, I dread the day when I'll have to go back to glasses. As a kid, I had to endure all those names, you know, four eyes, and I would always retort, four eyes are better than two. You know, you'd always do that as a kid, but, you know, my doctor, she does a great job. Uh, she's very talkative and very helpful and makes sure that, you know, I get the right prescription for my eyes. Now, think with me for a moment. Those of you that have been to the eye doctor, it'd be silly for us to go in there, to sit down, and then close our eyes. You know, they put that little viewer up there and, they, and she goes, better one or two, you know, two or three. You know, you're like, which number was it? Can you go back? You know, and, and I've gotten really good at, and this is, uh, I've gotten really good at memorizing the letters. That's my bad thing, okay? I could memorize those letters really quick and be able to, but this time, you know what they did? They shuffled the letters. This is the first time it's ever happened to me. I was like, I had to memorize, you know? I was, but anyways, okay, I digress. All right, so... I'm sitting there, and if I close my eyes in that moment, I'm not going to see anything at all. This is what the Apostle Paul's trying to get us to see. We need to be awake. You don't go through your Christian life passively. You don't coast. It's something you do intentionally when it comes to walking with the Lord. I have to open up my eyes. I have to look. I have to answer one or two, three or four. I have to go through all of those steps so that I get to the point where I have the prescription that I need so that I can see clearly. We have to awake. We have to be able to see. The Apostle Paul here is using uh, wisdom type comparisons. Fools, wise, ignorant, understanding, uh, uncontrolled and controlled. You're going to see those themes within these verses that we're looking at. When he says walk, it speaks to how we live and conduct our lives, that you walk circumspectly. Even for these Christians, so early in the Christian history, even they were struggling 
with their walk. That the Apostle Paul had to say, walk circumspectly. Well, circumspectly has that idea of mindfully. It's deliberate. It's intentional. Okay? What he's saying here is that this doesn't happen by accident. If you're going to walk with the Lord, you must take intentional steps. He also in this verse gives them kind of a measure, if you will. See then that ye walk circumspectly, okay? You have an intentional walk with the Lord. Not as fools, but as wise. There's our measure, wisdom. That's the characteristic that people that are walking intentionally with the Lord are going to have. There's going to be wisdom. And where do we find that? Well, that's hearing God's word. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, there are portions there where he wrote to his sons. And he wrote this one, Proverbs chapter 2, and he begins with the words, My son, if thou wilt receive my words... And hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. Do you not see that we have to be intentional, that we have to be deliberate if we're going to seek out wisdom? He says, then shall I understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. We go to God. We go to his word to find wisdom. You know, everything worth doing requires care and I would say that it requires intentional purposed care Uh, consider the time you take to do most things in your life you think of your job if you still want to have that job you you got to do some deliberate things to make sure you continue to have a job if you're working on your education there are deliberate steps that you have to take in order to accomplish the required work your home and your family, your hobbies, your dress and appearance, all those things take intentional care. And as Christians, why would we think that our walk with the Lord could be so casual? That we could just let it go? That it could just happen? Nothing in our life is that way. And we must treat the Christian walk as the serious thing that it is it's a call for us to use wisdom and not be fools you know you don't walk with God by completing a checklist you don't go all right I prayed I had my devotions day one of 2023 a success we don't live that way boy this is a walk with God almighty God boy today we should be looking to see what God has for us in this message in his word Later today, when we're gathered around with people, later today as we're um, talking with our family, we ought to be looking for opportunities that maybe God has for us in those moments. And we need to make, as Edward said, make the most of those moments of time. 
You know, your walk with God is not to be a well-kept duty. It's not to be this machine. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. It ought not be that way. It should be vibrant. When those disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, their hearts burned within them. They were excited. Where is our excitement? Some of you have not been excited about the things of God for some years. You've been faithful. You've been coming to church. But boy, when was the last time that you, your heart burned within you about the things of God? We find here the first spiritual exercise for us is to awake and see. Let's look at the next spiritual exercise. Look with me there at verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. The next spiritual exercise is redeem the time. Redeem the time. Again, amazing how quickly time flies by. Michelle and I were out yesterday. We were doing some shopping. And I was talking, and we were both kind of lamenting the same thought. That December and that Christmas, the time leading up to Christmas just flew by. I was amazed at just how fast this year went. It's like I'm trying to apply the brakes to slow everything down and it just keeps going. And I, I was trying to figure out ways that, you know, next year that we could slow time down. How can we make Christmas last longer, you know? And I'm thinking about all these ways. And maybe it'll start by celebrating it in October, starting there first. I don't know, but I'll find a way. The point is I wanted to make the most of that time. I wanted to make the most of that time we had leading up to Christmas. This is the idea of redeeming the time. It's buying up the opportunity. Right now, we are gathered together as the, as the church. Gathered together to worship our God. We're not here simply just to perform a duty to hit a checklist, to have a mechanical faith. But we're here because there is a God who has this great love for us, who's rich in mercy. And we want to redeem this time. We want to make this as the most profitable time that we can. And then in the next moment that we're given, we're going to make that the most profitable time. We're going to continue on redeeming the time, utilizing them for the glory of God. The price for this is self-denial. The price for this is hard work. The Christian life, it's not for sissies. The Christian life is for soldiers of Jesus Christ. There are opportune times that we can take advantage of growth, of doing something for the Lord. The Apostle Paul talked about those doors of opportunity that he had. He asked people to pray for him during those opportunities. Pray that he'd take advantage of that. Edwards said, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. And I believe that is wisdom. 
That is wisdom. And here it is, a, a motivating factor for us because the days are evil. Oh, we, we know our days are evil. We know the morality of our day is not great. So much debauchery being promoted in our world. So much deviant behavior being lifted up and celebrated. And this is why we take advantage of every opportunity to hand out a gospel tract, to have a gospel conversation. This is why we take advantage, because the days are evil. We don't know what our limitations may be in the years to come, so we take advantage of what we have right now, wherever we may be. The Apostle Paul faced many challenges, not just the wickedness of his day, but by his own testimony, he had to work hard and work through many difficulties. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils by my own countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness. That was Paul's testimony of the life that he had lived and experienced what had gone on in his years? And did Paul despair? Did he, did he cower in the corner? Did he say, I'm done? Did he toss in the towel? He didn't do that. He said it to the Philippians, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, he pressed on. I don't know what challenges that you're facing right now, but the Apostle Paul redeemed the time. He took advantage of every opportunity, every door that opened up for him. He took advantage of it. You and I, we need to do the same. Opportunities slip away. We don't get them back. We need to redeem the time. We need to buy it up and we need to continue to press toward the mark. That's two of the spiritual exercises. Let's get to our third one here. Look with me, Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. To walk wisely, we must understand God's will. In his best-selling book, Atomic Habits, James Clear gives this concise insight about forming habits. He says this, that every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Okay, let me repeat that again. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. 
You know, you may not want to be financially strapped, but overspending demonstrates your voting for escalating debt. Okay? The second helping of dessert probably doesn't seem significant, but it's really a vote for weight gain. Those are the things that happen in our life. We think that they don't matter, those little things, and it makes a vote towards the wrong thing. You know, you look at this book right here and how often we go and we read it and we come to places that are like, I don't get that. Why is that even there? Those genealogies, what's going on there, Lord? What's the value there? We go through portions of Leviticus. We're getting ready to start a new year. Some of you will start reading through the Bible and Leviticus comes up and it's like, ah, you know, it's like crackers sometimes to go through some of these portions of the scripture. But in light of all of that there, your understanding of scripture might feel inadequate, but you know what you're voting for? A richer and deeper walk with the Lord every time you read that book. We need to understand the Lord's will, and the only way we're going to do that is if we get in this book. The psalmist said, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Reading the Bible is probably one of the top two neglected spiritual disciplines. Barna Research reported that in 2021, one in six U.S. adults reads the Bible most days during the week. Just over one-third of U.S. adults read the Bible once a week or more. I, I mean, this is the book that's not supposed to depart out of our mouth. The psalmist David, he said, in thy law do I delight. I love thy law. Joshua was told, don't let this depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there in day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If we're going to understand God's will and how we are to walk, we've got to get into the book. How much Bible reading have you been doing in 2022? Was it very little? Imagine in this year you make a change. Imagine this year you make an intentional effort. You're deliberate about reading the Word of God. You're getting a Bible plan. You're finding a, a ways to set reminders on your phone. Whatever it takes in your mind, you're saying, I will be reading the Word of God more than I did in 2022. This year, I am going to understand God's will for me. I am going to get into the Word of God. This book here is a treasure. And I promise you this, that if you commit to read this book, you will find spiritual riches. You will see what God has is doing in your life you're going to understand that he takes both the good times and the bad times and uses them to draw us closer to him to help us learn more about who he is it's often during the hardest times of our life that we get great clarity 
and who God is. Well, we need to move quickly here and I need to finish up. Let me give you the last spiritual exercise and I'm going to go through this last one very quickly. It's verses 18 through 21. Let's look at those. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. The last spiritual exercise for us is to be filled with the Spirit. Now Paul uses the illustration of drunkenness not in a way for us to build an argument for drinking. Uh, such an interpretation would be inconsistent with Scripture and is lifting from context what Paul is saying. When we give ourselves to drunkenness, we're turning ourselves over to alcohol, and alcohol begins to be the one thing that's controlling us. The Apostle Paul says, no, don't do that. Through all of that, with alcohol, you give control to something else that leads to all sorts of evil, all sorts of debauchery. He says, but rather, he argues for us to be under the influence of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. The idea to have this supply. It's a command for every Christian. It means we keep on being filled moment by moment. And God is speaking here of this abiding reality. You know, yesterday's filling will not do for today. The man of yesterday doesn't supply the need of manna today. We have to learn that we have to constantly allow the Holy Spirit to saturate us and pervade our entire being with his presence and, and with his power. That filling is not a question of having more of the Holy Spirit. It's a question of how much does the Holy Spirit have of us. This is why the, it's our choice to obey or disobey this divine direction. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know, when the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with him, when we're allowing him to, to use us, what does that look like? The Apostle Paul gives four things here, and I'll go through them very quickly. He talks about a heart oneness. In verse 19, he talks about this Christian fellowship, this community that we'll have. He talks about this harmony of worship of God that we'll be glorifying, exalting, lifting up God together. He talks about this heart-filled gratitude, an attitude of thankfulness for all that God has done, the thankfulness for one another, the thankfulness for God's plan and His working in this world. And yet there will also be this humility in our service one to another. This is being filled with the Spirit. This is what it looks like. The Apostle Paul laid it out for us. Boy, it changes our marriages. It changes how we love. It changes how we treat our parents. It changes how we work. It changes how we treat our employees. It changes how we stand for the Lord. That's all that he covers in chapters 5 and 6. All those topics. The question I had as I was thinking about this group of real Christians living in a real day, facing real problems. Where did the Ephesians end up? Well, from the Lord's letter to the church in Revelation, it sounds like their zeal was strong. They were praised for their working hard, for their labor, for their patience, their endurance. But there was a quality that was missing. 
And I do believe it was because they didn't walk wisely. See, the Lord said this, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not found them liars and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You know what I'm thankful for today? I'm thankful for God who's rich in mercy, who forgives, who loves this foolish man that stands before you. He loves us. And you know, in 2023, I want to do all that I can to make the most of the moments I have to make them profitable for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to practice these four spiritual exercises. I want to awake and see. I want to redeem the time. I want to understand God's will. I want to be filled with the Spirit every moment. I don't know what your intentions are for this new year. I don't know where your walk is with the Lord. But I hope by looking here in the pages of Scripture that your heart has been stirred. It may be today for you, much like Jonathan Edwards did, that he took in his, bi- uh, took in his pen and wrote down in a book some resolutions, resolved. Maybe for you and me today, writing in our Bibles, we should put resolved. To walk wisely. 1 1 23.